would you guys say that the portal is kind of this bridge between these two worlds between the business i mean i and and i heard you actually say we say developer portal but mm -hmm. it's not just for developers right is this no. a bridge between the worlds developers are going to have to step up and and do a little bit better when it comes to bridging and and educating you can see it in a lot of the other api providers they just don't get it and you can measure that in their portals i think portals are the, are a window to that soul you know mm -hmm. of an organization are you you know you know how do you see the world hello and welcome to api resilience this is a podcast where we explore ways that your api program can help make your company stronger in these uh, challenging times and today we are pleased to talk with Ken Lane. Ken Lane is currently working at Postman. Uh, he's well known in the API uh, community and you can find his blog at apievangelist.com and follow him on Twitter at Ken Lane, K-I-N-L-A-N-E. Welcome Ken and good to be talking to you again, Christoph. Thank you. Thank you. They, they like so we were joking before we started the show that that we were not sure if Ken was going to come back because we, we did we already recorded this one once. Yeah, but, I, I, you guys can schedule me anytime. I'll I'll talk about APIs as my my daughter says API blah blah blah. What I'm good at, so. My kids are not that far yet, so but they're 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 um they're in the whole dev portal and and api stuff but but the blah 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 that's that still has to come <laughs> so <laughs> but it's good it's good to have you and i'm very much looking forward uh to having our awesome discussion on the record <laughs> this time yeah we did <laughs> like really last good time. last time we did oh, great last time it was fantastic uh, we just should have hit record faster <laughs> so uh, yeah i i i've been like I was itching to ask you about a couple of trends that uh, I've been thinking about and we've been talking about on the podcast and to get your pers perspective on it. Like we had some pre-discussions, we had like a, our pre-pre-podcast. So I think we're, we're, we've got everything aligned now to, to really go deep in this one. And um, yeah, like I, I think we, we had a really good conversation on Tuesday with Mehdi. And he, he brought in a whole different perspective on, on this question again, which is interesting. Uh, so I'm, I'm curious to, to see how it's been fermenting with you, this idea of uh, democratizing APIs and like how, how are we going to go beyond developers as consumers for APIs and how, how are we going to get the rest of the world on board uh, to start using the API infrastructure? Yeah, this is a super important one, um, but it's not an easy one either because we're a lot of headwinds, a lot of, you know, legacy baggage. I think we have to work our way through to, to change this dynamic. So, yeah, it's a, it's a pretty important one. And Mehdi's the guy to, to understand it. He, uh, I would say similar to me, he, he gets the politics of all of this and realizes it's, it's more about people than it is about technology. And it's also about business, though, because I would say, the reason why one of the biggest reasons why there's a divide between developers and business people is because of money and keeping things separate and the way things work. So we 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 definitely have a lot of work in that area. And it's been it's been one of my one of my biggest realizations in the last couple of years has been that it's not either or. It's not business or doing good it's like it has to be and it has to be both yeah. we have to if we're if we can't marry these two together then it's just not going to work 
and I think, but it's it's interesting because in the developer scene, it just it feels it's still kind of shielded from business, and there's there's a little bit of that counterculture, or well, there's a lot of that counterculture. <laughs> so, um, are you saying developers are cynical about business? <laughs> <laughs> well, we've been. We've been treated as as kind of special uh, a special class of citizen for so long, and there's a lot of you know lore and myth that goes around. You know the developer who you just slide pizza under the door, and and the next day they make magic. You know they stay up all night and all this, and 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 we ignore that the he's a complete jerk to other people, and and you know all, and he has no social skills. But you know, and so there's many of those types of things that. Hey, you know, this is magic that happens over there. And, oh, you people don't worry your pretty little head about what's going on there. Not, you know, completely ignoring that, hey, this person should be aware of the business use cases and be actually be exposed to people who are using the software, not kept in the basement, not fed pizza. You should be <laughs> fed, fed fruits and vegetables and have a good healthy diet and see sunlight, you know. So there's a lot of reasons why these exist. But a lot of it is so that you can abstract the complexities away from business people and lock them into certain functionality. And with SaaS and kind of the this latest several waves of software, you know, people can buy a, a solution online, a, a, a software solution, and then they can actually put the API to work as well using tools like Zapier and it this then that. And there are low code, no code solutions that are API driven that will en enable people to not just get their data in and out of a software solution, but get their so multiple software solutions working together. And you can do this without a programmer, but there's a lot of entrenched software development people on both business and developer side that want to keep, you know, keep that divide existing and stoke it and, and make it so you have to pay them to move your data and migrate your data and, and create this kind of interoperability. So we have, technical challenges, but we also have business. And then uh, within that business climate, a lot of politics have kind of taken hold. It's interesting to me, uh, the, the, this conversation, because um, I've spent my career helping bridge the divide between developer and business person. And I've told the business people over and over that the developers writing code, it's not any magic incantation. What they're trying to do is understand the thousand things that you take for granted that you know are how you need something to function in the business. And it's very important for you guys to talk to, talk to each other uh, because they're, they're not, uh, you know, in, in the basement. They're, they're here ready to uh, communicate and solve these problems. And so um, whenever we're building developer portals, we make sure that um, people are making sure that they are addressing, you know, business users on the developer portal. They're addressing developers on the developer portal. And now I think we need to be thinking about these opportunities that open up with the low code, no code environments. It's, um, it's still surprising to me. I just had an, a situation where there's an integration that's needed with a particular company and they want you to pay for a development environment. And they don't, they, to me, that's so anti API first, um, you know, talk about uh, 
uh, friction for integration. That's a lot of friction. And we're talking about reducing friction all the time. So, yeah, it's a, it's a, I would, would you guys say that the portal is kind of this bridge between these two worlds, between the business? I mean, I, and, and I heard you actually say, we say developer portal, but Mm -hmm. it's not just for developers, right? Is this a bridge between the worlds? I I call it the interface for the interfaces. Um, And I think, but I'm, I'm one, I'm starting to wonder, and I, I, I floated this balloon with Mehdi. Um, and I was, I, I started talking about integration portals and he's like, oh, no, 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 don't, don't go there. Integrations is this, that's like the first paradigm. And that was in the time when both sides had to like do this hand, magical handshake where both were like doing this tricky dance of how are we going to approach each other and make it work together? Like we we're already in the next generation. We're doing APIs now where APIs are products which means that one side has already automated and, and simplified and, and productized that handshake. And you just have to come and like grab the handle and get your thing going. I think what we're talking about here is like the next paradigm where um, like maybe it's autonomous APIs like Z is talking about. Yeah. <clears throat> or, but I, I probably, uh, that will be a big part of it, but it, it still feels like, it feels like autonomous APIs are still for developers. And I think there's still something else out there for non-developers. Like there's the if this and that's and the Zapiers for a very specific use case of business integration, like like slushing data around. I, I feel that that's the major, the major use case that that's being used for. You have some corporate tools like um, uh, integration platform as a service kind of uh, solution space. <clears throat> But that's very much focused on the internal world where you're probably already controlling what kind of interfaces will be available. I feel there's like a a third space still left, which is about how are you going to give the power of APIs to people that can't afford doing integrations, that they they can't even pay for a developer? Like, how are you going to enable them to use APIs? And... And beyond this, this more sim- like simplistic cases, uh, maybe, or I don't know, maybe maybe those are sufficiently sophisticated. But it feels like either we have to like make super tight interfaces that simplify that, so that it becomes something that just a regular person can go and click together. Uh, but it, yeah, and I, I think we probably. So I, I feel that. I'd, I'd like to see the developer portal to become the interface for the interfaces, but where we're not just bringing the APIs together, but where we also have the, the integrations, like integration touch points or like whatever way you have to automate an integration with an organization that that's there. Definitely. And, you know. I mean, I would say, and I would add to that, that whether it's, even if it's simple or if it's, low code, no code kind of prepackaged. Like one of the illnesses I've seen that's perpetuated this this chasm is people have to understand how, what's going on behind the scenes. Like even if if it's API to a, modern API to modern API and a, a Zapier integration or if this and that, that if you can't see how that works and kind of tweak the auth or tweak the passing of the variables um, and and have some sort of literacy about what's going on, I don't see it as being much better than than what we already have. So I think these these connectors, these integrations, these workflows and orchestrations have to have 
show what's going on behind the scenes, show that you're using your Facebook token over here and your Twitter token. And you you understand a little bit about, you don't have to understand OAuth, but you understand that, hey, when I do this at Facebook, I get a token and it's just gave it to this group. And I always say that, you know, people don't need to understand OAuth. You know, it's, it's very technical. I don't even think I understand it most of the time. <laughs> Who <But> does? <laughs> you, should know, you should know that it exists and you should know that you use it every day. And I feel like these things in the U.S., you know, when you when you leave uh, uh, primary school, you, you you're given a personal finance course, usually like how the banks work, how credit cards work. I feel like this is OAuth and this is integrations in our world. Like you don't have to understand, you know, two or three legged OAuth and the details of it. But you should know that you use Facebook OAuth or Twitter OAuth or Google OAuth and then on a regular basis and that you're giving access to your data similar to how you give access to your credit cards or your bank account. You don't just, you shouldn't give access, you know, to everyone. So you don't have to understand how the banking system works. You don't have to understand how the whole API industry works, but there should be a certain amount of literacy that goes with these and these connections and integrations and tools that enable developers or non-developers should be, should have, should have a role or responsibility in, in delivering some of that literacy and that education and awareness, not just be a closed box system. And I think that is the role. That's the role that I see for this, whatever it is beyond developer portals is to educate potential partners or potential collaborators, whatever they are, whoever they are, be they internal, external partners about the, the, First of all, how does the plumbing work? Like generally, maybe, you know, giving an idea about what kind of data is available, uh, what are the kinds of services that are available, and then also in what formats and how you can get access to it. So like what kind of solutions are there so that you can you can go there as a business person and say, oh, this is an interesting company to work with because I can do this and this and this with them. And then when I do this, then I also have this automation possibility and that automation possibility. How it works exactly, that's for the developers. Or maybe it's a click and, and it just works. But I think that's, um, I can imagine like this interface of the interfaces to, to, to be that kind of thing that helps with that literacy. I, I have a chicken and egg question. Mm-hmm. So I was browsing uh, videos with Ken Lane um, oh, no. before uh, <laughs> this, this, this call just uh, uh, to get some thoughts and see if there is uh, something that would be relevant to our conversation. And it was surprisingly relevant. Uh, there was a talk from, uh, not a talk, there was a conversation. You're being interviewed in 2015. And you're talking about how students uh, in the humanities are you know, connecting things and uh, uh, learning how to how to you know screen scrape and and uh, use APIs even though they're not CS you know students, and uh, it makes me wonder if this low code no code thing that we're starting to see is the result of the digital natives coming into the workforce, and that uh, they just expect everything to be codable and they don't expect to need to have CS degrees in order to make two things talk. And so which came first, the, <laughs> the digital native or um, the low code, no code solution? Yeah. I mean, I think it's con- back and forth constantly, perpetually over time. I think there's, there's times where we've lost ground in, in 
educating and empowering these people. And then there, you know, this is what APIs, you know, have been for me since our first days. You know, when I first saw the um, delicious API, it was bookmarking and that I could change .html to .xml and get an XML list of my bookmarks. I was like, oh, yes. And then once Twitter came out, like kind of lit up my mind, Flickr was another one, photos. And so meaning things that were meaningful to me, these are my bookmarks. These are my photos. I can now grab them and do other things with them and publish and move them and resize and do things. So those those API-driven capabilities, those are what matter. And this is, when it comes to the portal and the interface for the interfaces, like what developers are going to have to step up and and do a little bit better when it comes to bridging and and educating because I see this constantly in the in the Postman API network. So we we have a network of APIs that you can publish a collection to, and most of the collections that people publish are reference collections. So here's all of my APIs. Here you go. Here's 150 API calls or individual methods you can make, and here you go. Put it to use, and you can run that as a Postman collection. That's pretty easy to do. But who cares about all 150 of the Twitter APIs or the Dropbox APIs? And so this is what I spend most of my days doing is working with these partners. We just did it with Dropbox where they have a reference collection. Here's all of the APIs. But they worked real hard on creating a, a one for administrators. That is our set of tasks and actions that common administrators want to take that are like, I want to change it. I want to reduce permissions on this. I want to upload file. I want to move file over here. Um, actual things that that benefit them in in a in a business world. And I'm working with them to build collections that could live um, in a portal in a university. Because when I work with a lot of universities, going back to some of these talks, I do a lot of uh, work with uh, professors as well as IT people at universities. And you go to some developer portals for universities and they have, well, here's our admin APIs, but here's the the services that we have, have adopted. They have APIs, go use, go to their portal. So they have Dropbox, they have Google Drive, they have WordPress, they have all of these SaaS solutions that students use as part of their projects. And so having little simple capabilities that aren't like, oh, here's, you know, right now it's, here's a Dropbox API, go figure it out, kid. You know, no, no, let's as developers, let's step up and and meet that kid halfway, you know, and let's actually create a set of collections or open API definitions or, you know, things that help show the value of this API in, in that kid's world. And how is it actually going to make a difference? And once you start doing that, I mean, I've been doing the um, we, we these types of programs since 2011, 12 and uh there's a program that, that was started out of uh, University of Mary Washington called Domain of One's Own, but it's it's at many schools now where every student who comes in gets their own domain and not tilde at the university like is historically. You actually get your own .com, .net, like you get to choose your own domain. And then your first class is how do you set up DNS and how do you set up a WordPress install? And so this is actually meant to teach them domain literacy and the majority of these programs aren't in computer science departments. These are in humanities, as you said, Mark. These are in humanity organizations. These are uh, uh, 
literature students. These are, you know, they're they're doing other things, but they need they're using WordPress, they're using Dropbox, they're using Twitter to do research. And they need to get access to this data. And so how do we empower those people? Because that's the future right there. That's what I feel. That's so cool. And it's I think it's interesting that you went working for Postman because I feel that of the of the big API companies out there, they're probably one of the uh, one of the companies that is most pushing for democratizing APIs and making them available for as many people as possible, and like and growing um, growing the the target audience of APIs. Um, so, like how how you you mentioned this when we were having this chat in in uh, San Francisco that uh, you've seen like analysts use APIs through Postman collections. And I was so fascinated by that story. <clears throat> so can, can you tell a bit more about that? Yeah, so we're seeing this, um, the, we have what's called the state of the API report at Postman where we survey, I think it was 13,000 of our customers that we, we interviewed this time and, or surveyed and, and kind of what roles are you, you know, what are you, are you a backend developer? And we're seeing more, uh, job roles that aren't developers you know these are product managers sales analysts um so there's one uh retail company that has a team they have a postman team their job is to build postman collections and and tests for other api teams so it was a started as a one person um that's what he did and then one time an, an analyst came to him and said hey i just i needed some data from a system and i couldn't get it from the the app that we were given or the the suite of apps and i know you have access through an api can you pull that for me he was like sure and so he fired up postman created a collection made a call to it set up the authentication and then hits you know send here's the data he's all here i'll just give you the url to this collection and the analyst goes well Wait, what, what, what do you mean collection postman? You know, I can't, I don't write code. I can't make calls to APIs. He's like, no, no. I set up the authentication for you. I made the request, got the data you want, created the query, what you needed. And I saved this as a, as a self-contained collection that I can now share with you. So here's the URL. You can grab that. All you got to do is go download postman and you can run it as well. And, and you just get the results. Every time you need it, you just get the results. And then the guy came back for more and more. And then pretty soon other teams had heard about it and they came. And now this is this kid's full-time job. And he was hiring other people to, to do this. And so they were able to move faster um, than, than the app teams, you know, or whatever that, the solutions that these analysts use to get their, their information. They were able to move faster than that by creating these collections. And they were able to abstract away the auth, the queries, the other pieces to make it so that it was just one click and they could do it. And then now in Postman, you have a visualizer. So um, that, that that team is actually creating visualizations with that data. So they can download as a CSV or a JSON, or they can just visualize it. And so it's kind of going the next step. And I'm seeing that with sales teams. I've, we've got a couple customers who are empowering their sales teams with collections. Um, and so... It's that's why I'm at Postman. It's why, you know, is because I see, you know, I don't like using the, the phrase democratizing APIs because I've heard that rallying cry since way back. And, <laughs> I, and I've actually felt things are going the opposite direction. Um, but yes, it, it captures. It's a nice little 
rallying cry for what we need. <laughs> so I'll keep using it. But, um, you know, it's it's about making people aware the APIs exist, not afraid of them, and that they can use them too. It's not just for the wizards on the hill that have this special, you know, wizard knowledge that anyone can do it. And, oh, all the apps you use have these APIs. Not all of them share them and are as open with you um, as they should be. But APIs are behind everything you use. And Postman is a great way to kind of bridge that world. So that's why I'm here. Very cool. Ken, Ken when I think about uh, the situation I was telling you about uh, the high friction environment where you have to pay to uh, integrate uh, with this particular vendor, what do you say to those people to help them understand that they're missing out on a lot of value by not by trying to monetize integration itself instead of embracing what the integrations will produce yeah that's a that's a pretty tough one and it's pretty constant i mean i i encounter people in all industries especially the ones who have been digital or computer centric for a long time there's a lot of locked up data there's a lot of locked up resources and some of this is public data. I, I know a lot of old, you know, if you go into the real estate industry, there, there's quite a few other industries like that where you got to pay for access to data. I mean, if you're a real estate agent in the U.S., you have the data. The data is yours. You put it into the system, and now you have to pay for a subscription to do that, to put it in the system. But then you have you just get signed over rights to that data. And cities, there's companies who work with municipalities, cities to do the same thing that, hey, if you want to use our system to manage your sewer data, your mapping data, your your public infrastructure, you can use our system, but then you forfeit or, or sign away the rights to the data itself. And this is pretty common in, in people locking up data and generating data and making money off of it is not going away. This is, I point to them, I go, okay, look, you're still going to be able to make money if you free this. There's other data that gets generated around the activity usage of this. There's there's many ways to make money, and there's many ways to make more money. What you're doing is limiting the playing field. And then I point to Facebook, and I point to Amazon, and I go, look, these guys used APIs to kind of shift the game and, and shift you know the conversation. Unfortunately, a lot of these players at different times uh, also become more closed and start locking things down once they kind of reach that critical mass where they a have all your data and people are building with APIs, then they shut things down. But still APIs have the potential to democratize and provide access, but there has to be, you know, uh, more awareness and conversation about that, that business management layer that I don't think people are always as educated as they should be. So I spend a lot of time educating these, these folks who, you know, I'm a database guy. I've been working with databases since 87 was my first job. Um, so I've seen a lot of locked up data, proprietary data, gatekeeping, people who don't, you know, uh, database people are some of the most defensive kingdom building people you'll ever come across. And that's what attached me to APIs early on is I saw the potential for opening up access, but metering it, understanding it, and then creating new products and services and generating more revenue than you did with that defensive strategy. 
And I've seen it all the way to, you know, public data, the public data um, kind of rallying cry from like 2007 till 2015, like open up data. I saw that how that can be bad, you know, for cities and counties. They just basically gave away all of their digital assets. So there's a middle road between being completely defensive, locked up, proprietary, and completely open and just letting anyone come. Because when you're open, you tend to be open for business, meaning other people can come and build a business around your data. Mm -hmm. And that happens a lot with public data and government data is corporations come take it and then they monetize it and make money with it. So we have to find that kind of sweet spot in the middle where there's lots of revenue to be made, but um, you got to strike that balance. So to me, it sounds like... um... Part of it is a failure of imagination. And um, these people who are holding things so tightly don't understand the opportunity that they're missing. They're only seeing what's in their hand. Well said. How do we, I mean, part of the goal of this podcast is to try to get the story out and reach those people and to say, this is why an API why your company needs an API strategy, why digital transformation is um, not going paperless in your office. It's really about, you know, an API program and connections and creating essentially networking your business with um, your partners and your customers in a way that gives, gives you far more stability than you can without it, you know, what do you think are the missing pieces in the conversation that will open up the imagination for them? You got storytelling. I mean, that's why that's what API evangelist is all about is telling stories about other people who are doing it that matter. And, and that gets people's imagination going. I mean, that's, that's my biggest deficiency as an individual is, um, I don't read enough books. I, I read a lot of books. I still read a lot of books. I do a lot of podcasts, but I don't read a lot. So my imagination is fairly diminished because I'm just not exposed to a lot of ideas. I've changed that over the last five or 10 years. I'm reading a lot more. And I'm so I'm, I have a much more nourished imagination. If you don't feed your imagination, I mean, this is why we read books to our kids, right? This is why. So if you don't hear stories of positive examples, you're not going to change your behavior. You're not going to think differently. You're not going to know there's a world out there. And, you know, so trying to accumulate as many of these stories as we can and then tell them over and over and over. I mean, the Amazon myth story is kind of the biggest one about how Bezos, you know, mandated that all people go API first if you're going to work between departments within Amazon. And we've proven that most of the story is kind of fictional, but um, it, it did happen in some way. I love and, that story. And it, and it became Amazon web services. I mean, that is still the number one traffic story on my blog. And I wrote it January, 2012. And so those kind of stories resonate people with people. Um, I have, you know, like the, the U S census bureau, you know, I had early conversations with them, you know, census bureau in the U S they, they go around and count all the people and count, you know, demographic data. And then they would put it available as a big, massive download that you could download. That was, you know, once we went on the web, you know, that was available for the 2010 uh, survey census survey. And I I was having conversations because I was doing a lot of work in DC at the time. And I said, Hey, you guys should have an API. 
And they're like, no, why? No, we can't like we can't impose our opinion on the data by doing API design or, you know, we just got to like let people take it and, and, and do things with it. And I'm like, well, do you know what people are doing with it? They're like, well, no, like what, what? And I'm like, oh, Google's doing this whole flu trends analysis. Like I just rattle off like 30 different use cases and they were like, we're completely unaware. And I'm like, well, cause people are just downloading it and going doing it. But the other problem is, is this is a kind of, anointed class of people doing this is google this is these big companies who can take a big download parse the download store it in a database and and then use it you're missing a whole wider world of people that you don't you know you don't even know about that core group let alone all the other people and long story short is once they launched a couple of their apis they also did some spreadsheet plugins for their api they discovered this whole class of of analysts and people who they'd never talked to, never knew about. Those people didn't have the skills to crunch a big download to, to do things. And now they have this API management system. People sign up for a key. They grab a subset of the survey that they wanted. They pipe it to a spreadsheet and they're able to work with it. And then the feedback loop from these people was substantially more valuable than the feedback from Google, because Google's like, oh, we're just going to take your data. We're going to make a bunch of money off of it. We're going to augment it. And we don't really want to give you feedback on the surveys. But this other class of people actually was interested in a feedback loop with the census. So finding stories like this that matter to different people in different industries and different roles um, is really what's the most important thing, how we're going to shift this conversation. Mm -hmm. So I've been thinking about like what are the verbs that you do with APIs? So like, and, and I, I started thinking about this because of um, the nervous system, like a parallel with the nervous system with uh, sensing and acting through nerves. So like you're, you're a sync API, you know, you're sensing, you're acting through uh, your nerve systems as like triggering some action that happens like with your muscles. But I, I as you were talking about an analyzing, I figured there's uh, analyzing, there's exposing, monetizing, connecting through, sensing through, and then acting through. I I don't know if there's I don't know if this triggers anything. I'm, I was just riff, riffing this off, <laughs> like as I was I'm sitting here taking notes. <laughs> there's a whole vocabulary that yeah it it maps to the human, be, you know, so the senses and and but you know it's it's a whole vocabulary that, that is around the resources. This is why API design matters so much is like, if I call that an image API or a transcription API, like what this resource is, how it interfaces with me as a human is different. If it's, um, you know, my, if I have to record a voice, so I have to say something, if I'm seeing something as an image, if I'm listening to something. So there's definitely a, a mapping to the human here that, I don't think we're the, we're as good at as we, we we think we are and we should be, but it's a very old kind of notion. If you go back to the early days of compute coming out of World War II, there's a lot of technologists and psychologists and people who got together and I think it was 50, 51, 1950, 51, and they started a, a, a movement called cybernetics, which has kind of died away and gone away, not to be confused with like uh, Dianetics or the other kind of stuff. But the, cybernetics is very much the study of the relationship between humans and technology. And 
this, you, you see neural nets, artificial intelligence all got born out of this kind of movement. You know, people like Noam Chomsky, you know, going back to the vocabulary, the, the, the linguistics of it all were, were part of some of those circles. He kind of crushed the group um, in some ways, but vocabulary is super critical, like how we articulate and how we design our APIs. They speak to or lay the groundwork for the interfaces, you know, how actually how we interface the human to machine interface. And so this is why API design matters. This is why, you know, how we tag and how we organize and, and how we reuse schema.org and other comma, common schema, because we really need to keep establishing a common vocabulary for how we describe these things and how we use these things. And we're because of business and the business of apps, we're very, we tend to be very closed and tight with, with those vocabularies and we create our own kind of incantations and wizardry words to keep it. So it's not widely known. It's our <laughs> proprietary where in fact we should be widening that and using common vocabulary. Cause again, back to the business of it, there's more money in us using a common vocabulary and the inter true interoperability than there is a bunch of lockdown silos. Is this, do you think we're doing this on purpose? Oh, yeah. Like I, I think, I think to some extent, Custom words give you more power because you can tailor them to the needs and 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 it, it gives you you know you can make your own little flavor that's that's more relevant in your context. But I think at the same time it feels like are we are we either afraid? It, I don't think it's really fear. I, I, I think it's more of um why why is it so that this is so inaccessible. It's like, uh, proprietary. I mean, a lot of it's le legalities and funding. I mean, when you're building an API and you're a startup, your IP matters a lot, your patents, your copyrights, your trademarks. And so the, the naming and ordering of your interfaces, we saw this in the Oracle versus Google copyright case, right. which <clears throat> were in our... I've been working on this with the EFF since 2012. We're, we're still going at it in the U.S. So the, the naming and ordering of your API in the United States is, is copyrighted. So how I use, what words I use, in which order, are copyrighted in, in the U.S. And that's a problem. This is, you know, so startups are able to go, you know, my API interface is a special snowflake of an interface and I own it. No one else can do anything with it. And it's again back to what Mark was saying is like lack of imagination <laughs> about what's possible. Mm -hmm. And so it's primarily proprietary, it's 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 licensing, it's it's making money, it's the money part of all of this and the lack of imagination. But it's a uh, you know, people don't have the time, they don't take the time to go out and look at existing vocabularies, you know, it's like they reinvent the wheel constantly, they create so much work for themselves, they're not they just don't think much about it. we don't have a lot of time so we just spit out these apis and and they're kind of clumsy and caveman you know they're grunts and groans where we should be actually have be using our real words you know crud uh, crud create update delete you know it's like where we should be like you know have a little more nuance about what's going on and words that other people understand but then it's back to what you said, Christoph, about power, because this is so there's one side of the power that is 
you know, goes way back to, you know, the church and Latin and like, you know, mm. you can't read the religion. Only I can read it to you as the wizard or the, the priest, you know, and all the way to startups and, and companies having proprietary, like, oh, you know, the, the Twitter API is just about Twitter. You know, I mean, Mark Zuckerberg is very much, you know, testifying to Congress. No, Facebook really doesn't have any competitors because we're special. We're snow, you know, our API is is unique. And it's like, no, we're not, you know. And then, but then think about it in terms of slang mm -hmm. and power on the ground in the people. And there's, maybe there's also some power in things not always being a common vocabulary. And there's power in small groups making up words or, or creating derivatives of words and being able to do that. So I'm not saying, maybe, you know, common vocabulary is everything. But, you know, again, finding that balance, I think. Super interesting. Yes. Um, the, um, it makes me think about uh, the, the people who can't recognize a certain color because it's never been named in their language. Mm -hmm. um, things like that. So there, there is definitely room for, you know, that kind of... Um, creativity it makes me wonder how many how many of those types of situations are out there right now and w one of the things that i've been pondering is for an enterprise whenever they put up an api program and they've got a product they look at it you know they still i think look at it very um from a insular perspective this is how much our product is making and it, it's it's not really the their their api product that's making that money it's the thing that stands between that is company B using company A's API to build something that something that sits in between is the thing that is creating the new value. Yeah. And so that value exists independent of company B and independent of company A. They're, they're dependent on each other. And through that dependency, they've created some value that's uh, external to both of them. If company A goes away, Company B's, you know, new product doesn't work and they have to find someone else to integrate to make that happen again. And so if if all of these gaps are out there, you know, just how big, I mean, so much of business is treated as a, a zero-sum game. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and, and hence the reason to lock things up and to hold on them tightly. And it, it strikes me as nothing but a monkey trap, you know that the real value is in the gap. And that came up in the conversation with Maddie. Yeah. And I was thinking about it because it gave me a vocabulary for, for this idea that, uh, that I've been having where value creation is happening outside of companies through these networks. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's, you know, how do we measure that? How do we get people to understand that? Yeah. It's, it's like, um, and like in the West, we, we look at uh, individuals and we have this very much individual focused mindset where we're looking at, oh, here's Christoph and that's Christoph, where I, at least I, I don't know it personally, but stories I'm hearing and the books I'm reading uh, in the East, it's a lot more about relationships and about the in-between people and that people are much more defined by the relationships that they have rather than by who they are themselves. Like, And I think 
it's fascinating to think that this is maybe what is happening in the business world, where we're going from looking at individual organizations and now we're looking at networks of organizations and how well uh, an organization is able to perform and connect with different other organizations and build out this um, yeah this this mirror of this this individualistic image and i wonder i wonder what does that do for how we think about value and uh, measuring value uh, and creating value and probably yeah i i don't know if you're really fit for for dealing with this um I think there's there's a lot of personal value to be gained from being part of networks. Obviously, even even if you're even if you're focusing, like there's so many stories about super networkers that don't do too much in particular. They're just helping people all the time, and somehow they get always on the right places, and and they're they're like super successful. And all they've been doing is like, hey, person A, this person is looking for something. Oh, by the way, when when whenever I'm going to have somebody else who needs something, it's okay if I ask you for some help, right? And um, yeah, so, yeah. so I, th- I think there's a lot of individualistic value to be made, a transactional value, um, but it feels like it would be better if you're focusing on, on the non-transactional value and then let the transactional value come from itself. Well, and, and I think what you said really is reflected in APIs and businesses. I think the individual when it comes to capitalism and making money is very much, you know, a a central character, but a lot of these businesses are opening up their APIs kind of playing, um, playing to the fact that networks matter, integration relationships, all these, these externalities matter, but you can see whether they're honest or not about it in the, in their portal and in their, their overall API. So one of the, the ways that I measure this as part of my profiling of APIs is, is you go to their marketing page. What do they say they do? I grab all those, those, the vocabulary that they use in their marketing page. Here's, here's a list of words across their marketing page. I go to their API doc page. I do the same thing. What words do they use in their docs to describe it? And then I parse the actual paths and parameters in the design of the API because that's the most honest view. The marketing is complete BS. I'm going to hold my cuss words and not and be a polite guest. But it's you know the marketing is total BS. The docs are somewhere in between a more uh, a more honest, but usually the design of the API is actually the much more honest one about what this thing actually this interface is actually about, what the motivations because that developer probably isn't in alignment with business. He probably operates in a basement. And so he's making, he's just putting the words out there. This is, you know, this is this, and this is that, and this does that. He's not driven by the the marketing or the business. Not in all cases. Sometimes they're in alignment and they're actually both pretty honest and it's a well-designed API. I'm not saying all of them, but that disconnect between business and tech can be seen at that interface level in the docs, in the portal, and in the design of the API. And companies like Twilio and others who have harmonized that, they've worked hard to close that guy, bridge that, and be more honest about, all right, we're about networks and relationships and empowerment and apps. And we're not just about doing it in .NET. We're about doing it in every language on every platform, Laravel. And we want to network with all these other networks because we understand that you know, they just get it. 
but you can see it in a lot of the other API providers. They just don't get it. And you can measure that in their portals. I think portals are, the, are a window to that soul, you know, mm-hmm. of an organization. Are you, you know, are, you know, how do you see the world? And this is why so many API programs get in, or companies get in trouble by doing APIs. And a lot of them are really cautious about doing it because they're, they know it's crazy and it's chaotic internally. They know, and they know their view, but, and they know they can't really play this externally very well. And so they're very cautious about doing that. And you see companies that were like, oh, I don't want to make the same mistake Twitter did, you know, cause like, oh, that's just blown up and been crazy. And like, no, like that's been good. Like Twitter's finally actually with their latest release, finding their game again. They're actually, you know, but yeah, they went through some serious soul searching and looking in the mirror and what are we, who are we? And they're still doing it, you know? And so as an organization, you have to be willing to do that. Look at yourself, but then understand your role in the world and, and how you fit. So I think it's a blend of the Western and the Eastern that is like yes. the right balance. So I think, I think it's, it all, always is about semi-permeable membranes. It's like you can't be all open because then you just die. And you can't be all closed because then you just die. Yeah. And you have to, <laughs> so you have to find that, that mm-hmm. right careful balance between the two that's going to allow you to, to nurture yourself and to, to feed what's going on inside and to keep getting new ideas and to connect with others, but also to be separate enough so you can capture some of the value. And it's uh, and, and being honest about that, it's like, you know, we all need value. If we don't capture value, we're not going to survive. Uh, but also, like, you know, we, we shouldn't close ourselves off. So, yeah. Yeah, you got to find that balance. And and we're doing it on the web, you know. And this is, I would say, you see this playing out with the the private versus partner versus public API conversation, you know. Mm-hmm. And my my opinion is there's... They're, they're all public APIs. If you're using public DNS, it's a public API. I don't care if it's hidden behind a mobile app or hidden behind a device app or hidden behind your firewall. You know, you're still using public DNS and you should treat it like it's a public API. Now, that doesn't mean that it's out in the open and everyone can get access to it. You, you know, so teaching people how to be good corporate citizens or good enterprise entities on the web and individual entities as well on the web, I think is super critical. And it goes back to the digital literacy we talked about before is how do you, how do you teach individuals good digital literacy? How do you teach corporations good, or and government agencies too? Cause government's a, a kind of different beast or higher educational institutions. We all have to learn how to behave online and all of these resources tell a story about who we are digitally it comes back to that that vocabulary what do we do how do we behave online and making that available as apis just opens up the door for more networking and more relationships but we have to do it in a way that makes sense to our individuals or our our enterprise entities yeah amen thank you for listening to the api resilience podcast if you liked what you heard Please follow us to hear our latest episodes on YouTube, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or Apple Podcasts. And if you have any comments or feedback you would like to share, please drop us an email at podcasts at Until next time, we wish you well and hope you find success in all your endeavors.